I read a story this week about a woman who introduced her 35-year-old daughter as only being 24. The girl asked why she had done that to her mother, and her mother said, well, I realized that I've been lying about my age for so long, it suddenly dawned on me that I have to start lying about your age. (laughs) Or perhaps you've heard a story like this. On a beautiful fall day, four high school friends decided to go for a drive instead of showing up for class on time. When they did arrive, the the kids explained to the teacher that they had had a flat tire. The teacher accepted the excuse, much to the relief of the kids. And Since you missed this morning quiz, the teacher said, you must take it now. Please sit in the four corner seats in the room without talking. When they were seated, the teacher said, on your paper, write the answer to one question. Which tire was flat? As we continue in our study in Ephesians, Paul now goes into some practical examples of the put-on and put-off principle. And today, we're going to be looking at the put-on, put-off principle of biblical change that directly applies to our speaking, to our mouths, to what we say. We saw in our scripture reading today that Jesus taught that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We must always remember that biblical change is not just some kind of exterior behavior modification. Our Lord taught that real change is inward change, and it first starts at the heart. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self is an inward change through the work of the Holy Spirit that shows itself through our outward changed actions. Man looks on the outward appearance, but our God looks at the heart. As we pursue change in our lives, we pursue a change of heart. We pursue to live out the Spirit in this new life that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Well, turn in your Bibles with me there to Ephesians chapter 4. And follow along as I read Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as in God, Christ forgave you. Our first put-off principle is to put off falsehood. One way we can get a, a clear picture of the importance of telling the truth, of putting off falsehood, is to see our lying from God's perspective. Perhaps seeing 
lying as God sees it will help us feel the conviction of our sin and give us that motivation that we need to change. One of the best reasons to stop lying is because God hates lying. Listen to what he says here in Proverbs. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Did you catch it? In a list of seven things that the Lord hates, two of them have to do with lying. A lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. I think it's rather startling that two out of the seven would be about the use of our tongue, about lying. That truly shows an emphasis that God has on his heart, on the truth. There are at least two important reasons why God hates lying. The first reason that God hates lying so much is because he not only always tells the truth, but he is the truth. Truth is so important to God because God is an intrinsic, because truth to God is an intrinsic part of his character. In John 1.14 it says, God the Father is full of truth. In John 14.6 it says that Jesus is the truth. In 1 John 4.6 it calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. Truth is the very nature of the Trinity, our God. Everything God is and everything God does is truth. It's honest. It's sincere. It's accurate. It's fact. Titus 1.2 says that God cannot lie. And he cannot because telling the truth by his very nature is who he is and what he does. God is the very embodiment of truth and veracity. Therefore, whatever God says and whatever God does comes from the truth and is true. As John 17, 17 says, God's word is true. Every word on every page of our Bibles is absolutely, unmistakably, and entirely true. The other reason why God hates lying is the origin of lying. John 8:45 is a statement from Jesus as he's talking to those who do not believe. It says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar, a liar by nature, because that is who he is. He is the father of lies. The very first sin recorded in the Bible was Satan deceiving, with Satan twisting God's words to entice Adam and Eve to follow their hearts of selfishness. Because at the heart of Satan's character is lying, deceiving, manipulating. You know, there's no greater time in our lives when we are most unlike God and most like Satan when we are lying. Lying puts us in fellowship with Satan. When we take a close look at it, we can see clearly why God hates lying. Lying is an affront and an insult to his character. 
and it puts us in league with Satan. Oliver Wonder Holmes said that sin has many tools, but a lie is a handle that fits them all. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. It's never a good thing to do something that God hates. The put-on principle for putting away falsehood is to put on speaking the truth. One statistic I read said that 91% of us lie regularly. Of course, it's a statistic, right? So, maybe they were lying when they did the statistic. The reality is that if we were just honest with ourselves for a moment, we know that each one of us struggle to some extent with not being truthful. Psalm 12:2 says, "Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak." I was recently talking to someone about integrity, and I described it as having only one life. Lying creates multiple lives as As the proverb just stated, a double heart. We have to keep the lies in order. We have to make sure that we're lying the right things to the right people at the right time so that other people don't find out about the lies and then we end up getting caught. Then we have to deal with all the hurt feelings when our multiple lives, our double hearts, come crashing into each other. Why do we lie so often and why is it so easy? Why is it so easy to create these multiple lives, these double hearts? Why is it so easy to actually do something that God hates? I found an interesting article that describes six main reasons why we lie. It says, first of all, we lie to save face. I never got that shower invitation. Sorry I'm late, but there's a, a lot of traffic today. We frequently use deception to cover up our own irresponsibility. How can we handle a situation like that better? A simple, short, straightforward apology rather than a lie. I'm sorry that I did not call you back. Be honest and take responsibility. We lie to shift blame. My husband never told me you called. It it was my boss's decision. Passing the buck will eventually get the buck passed back to you and usually in a not so beneficial way. We use this lie to get out of taking responsibility for our actions. Adam in the garden said to God, The woman, it was the woman whom you gave to be with me. She's the one who gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. We lie to shift the blame from us onto someone else. We lie to avoid confrontation. That's a wonderful idea, Mom. I'll make sure and do that. You did a great job, You really did a great job. See, making excuses to avoid an uncomfortable conversation only causes more problems for both people down the road. Avoid a lie like this by being genuinely appreciative and genuinely honest. It makes the truth easier for everyone. Being a genuine person with your speech, Proverbs says, is a rare and special jewel. We lie to get our own way. I won't be at work today. I I caught that bug that's going around. Uh, Officer, my speedometer must be broken. You know, here we simply lie to get what we want for personal gain 
out of outright selfishness. If you have to convince yourself that what you're going to say is okay, then it's probably not. It's probably a lie. Did you hear that? If you have to convince yourself that what you're going to say is okay, then it's probably not. We lie to be nice. Hey, that dress looks fantastic on you. That's the best report I've ever read. These types of lies can often look disingenuous and leave us feeling less authentic. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and deal with them tenderly and honestly. We lie to make ourselves feel better. Oh, I, I never watch that TV show. I always pay my credit card on, on time every month. I'm sure just a little bit amount of this will still fit into my diet. See, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves to reassure ourselves that what we're doing is okay, especially when we know it's not okay. The danger really comes when we start to believe our self-deception. The remedy here is to seek out accountability, to live transparently, to seek someone who will help you in life decisions. Lying is a reality in all of our lives. And our lives can really hurt. They can really hurt us. And they can have lasting damage to someone else. And once that damage is done, it's often impossible to put it back together. The psalmist talks about the challenge of dealing with lies. In Psalm 119.69, he says, Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Psalm 144.11 says, Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Psalm 122 states, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. When we lie, we're being harmful. We're hurting someone. Not only can we lie damaging another person's reputation, but the very act of lying damages our own reputation. Lying always damages the liar. It is so often a truth that the sins we commit that are hurtful to others most often end up hurting us the most. And speaking the truth, we need to first and foremost be honest with ourselves. It's the first step of being an honest person is to be honest with yourself to pursue having one life, a life of integrity, a life of transparent, consistent honesty. The power and the frequency of lying, coupled with our selfishness and our ability to justify our own actions, makes speaking the truth often very difficult. Verse 25 tells us another reason why we need to take lying seriously. It tells us to change our thinking, to Renew our minds, the godly motivation for putting off lies and for speaking the truth. It says there in Ephesians 4.25, to speak the truth, for we are all members of one body. See, the reason Paul gives here for speaking the truth is that when you lie, you're defrauding a member of the body of Christ. We are all members of the same body, intimately united together, as Paul has taught over and over and over again here in Ephesians. We are one with each other, with Jesus Christ as our head. How unnatural and absurd would it be for the hand to deceive the foot, for the eye to lie to the ear, 
for the nose to gossip about the shoulder. That's the Paul, that's the point here that Paul's making. When we lie, when we deceive or we gossip, we're hurting the very body of Christ. Oh, folks, may it never be. The challenge to speak the new words of the new self isn't just putting off lying, but it's also putting on speaking the truth. And it's also now putting off saying things that are hurtful. From Ephesians 4.29, another put off, put on with, with, our, with our tongue. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion and may give grace to those who hear. We need to put off unwholesome talking. We must not only be careful about that what we say is the truth, but we must also be careful about using words to hurt. As part of the body of Christ filled with righteousness and holiness, we must not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Unwholesome means insipid or, or worthless, corrupt. It talks about gossip and slander. and includes foul talk and coarse language. Such speech is worthless and spreads worthlessness and leads hearers to think about worthless and unwholesome and corrupt things. One commentator said that anything that injures another person or sparks dissension is covered in this term, unwholesome talk. Proverbs has many powerful truths about the destructive force of words. Proverbs 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 26.28 says a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering tongue works ruins. Proverbs 11.9 says with his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor. Unwholesome, worthless words pierce like a sword. They bring death and destruction. They bring hate and hurtfulness. Many of us can look back on our lives and relive hurtful words. The pain is almost as real today as it was when we heard it. Our words have power. Lasting, significant power. Power to damage the very people we love. We are to put off unwholesome talk Unwholesome talk includes that gossiping. We're to put off gossiping. We're to put off talking to people in a hurtful way and talking about people in a hurtful way. Gossip is revealing personal information about another person regardless of the truth. Proverbs 18.8 describes the words of a gossip as delicious. It says the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inter in most parts. The sin of gossip tastes sweet, but it brings bitterness and heartache to our souls. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Oh, how many relationships have been damaged? How many close friends have been separated by gossip? Another way we use unwholesome talk is through slander. Slander is a malicious or false defamatory statement about a person. Jesus in Mark 7 says that the sin of slander comes from our hearts. 
Ephesians 4.31 tells us that we should get rid of all slander. James 4.11 commands us, do not slander. Other ways we hurt people with our words is being overly critical of them by negatively exaggerating something about them or something that they have done. By being silent when we should speak up to, to defend them. And by innuendo, slightly insinuating that something is wrong. It's so important as the family of God. It's so important as the church to work hard to rid God's family of hurtful words. For we are all members of the same body. The church is supposed to be a safe place. A place where we can be ourselves and be accepted for who we are. Hurtful and damaging words divide. Many a church, many a family have fallen apart under the onslaught of gossip and slander. Unwholesome, worthless words that destroy. Well, here's an interesting thought. Did you know that the person you talk to the most is you? Our words to ourselves have incredible impact on our lives. Do you talk unwholesome, worthless, even destructive words to yourself? See, the scripture is challenging us to not speak hurtful words to others, to not speak hurtful words about others, and to not speak hurtful words to ourselves. Now, we are to put off unwholesome talk and we are to replace it. We're Replace it with putting on building each other up. Not only should our speech be kept clean and truthful, but we should also speak only that it's helpful for building others up according to their needs. We must be sensitive to the situation and needs of everyone we talk to. We must be wise in choosing our words, because even good words, unless used appropriately, can be destructive instead of useful. Our words should be genuine and specifically suited to the person we're talking to and specifically suited to the situation, the time and occasion we're talking. Our speech should edify and build up to to give grace to the hearer and to not tear down and discourage or be calloused. The words we say to one another can be a powerful force for good for building each other up. Think back when you were young. What, What kind of words do you remember From the significant adults in your life, were there positive words, encouraging words that built you up, that made you feel valuable and worthwhile? I bet you were. I bet you there was. There's these positive words that shape who we are from the significant adults in our lives. Fortunately, though, often we heard negative words, too, that were hurtful and harmful. You know, the memories of looking back at those words can bring smiles to our faces and bring heartache and pain. Your words right now, as you reflect back on those words, realizing the power of them, realize that today, right now, your words have the same effect on the people around you, especially on children and grandchildren and young people. Take a mental inventory of your speech. Do your words build up or do they tear down? With God's help, commit to being the kind of person whose words encourage and edify. I think a great tool to help us practically apply God's command to tell the truth, to build each other up, is to look at the six rules of biblical communication. 
So let's briefly go over these six rules of biblical communication to equip us, to equip our lives with godliness, to putting off the old nature, putting off lying, putting off unwholesome talk in all of its forms, and instead building each other up in the new nature, in the new man, with truth and affirmation and encouragement and forgiveness. Well, rule number one, speak the truth in love. From Ephesians 4.15 and 4.25, the Bible clearly calls us to speak the truth, to be honest in all situations, in all of our relationships, that is God's unwavering standard. But verse 15 doesn't just say speak the truth. It says speak the truth in love. We're supposed to be honest. However, we're not supposed to be brutally honest. We're supposed to be lovingly honest. You'll hear people say, well, I tell it just like it is. And often they'll wear that around as a badge of honor. Often they'll say, I tell it just like it is right before something hurtful comes out of their mouths. We are called of God to tell it like it is, to be truthful. But God specifically says that when we tell it like it is, it's supposed to be smothered and covered in love. Remember, as Ephesians 4.25 says, one of the great reasons why we're supposed to put off falsehood, to speak truthfully to each other, is because we're a part of each other. We're members of one body. When one part hurts, we all hurt. When one part is slandered, we're all going through slander. When one part is gossip upon, we're all going through the gossip mill and suffer together. We're supposed to take care of each other and love each other. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Rule number two, keep current. Keeping current is the principle behind Ephesians 4.26 there, to not let the sun go down on, on you while you're angry at someone. We're commanded to take the initiative, to resolve conflict no matter who caused the issue. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about leaving your offering before the Lord and first going to reconcile to the one who is hurt. Matthew 18 talks about going to the one who was offended and working it out. So often when we get offended or when we're hurt from another person, we talk to everyone else. But that person, this is an critically important truth for any family, for any friendship, for any church. We must talk to that person rather than about the person. We must keep current. We must talk to that person. Talking to the person is the only way of resolving the conflict. Talking about the person only makes the problem worse. Rule number three. Attack problems, not people. Ephesians 4.29 there says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Attack the problem, not the person. It's impossible to lie and at the same time use your words to build others up. It's impossible to have unwholesome talk come out of your mouth and be benefiting those who are listening. We're called to build others up so that they may see the grace given to them. Unwholesome talk tears down another person. It's cruel and destructive and damaging. In Christian circles, we often disguise it. 
I just want you to know so that you can better help that person. I just want you to know so that you can better pray for that person. Building others up is speech that lovingly encourages and guides and equips the other person. You can deal with a presenting problem and still build the other person up. It's not necessary to cut the person down even when you're dealing with a difficult situation. Attack the problem and build up the other person and give grace to the other person. Rule number four, act, don't react. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When we feel wronged or have been hurt by another person, oftentimes our initial response is a reaction. A reaction that can often be just as harmful and just as sinful as the first wrong. And then that reaction causes another reaction. And before we know it, instead of getting rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, that's what's coming out of our mouths. The challenge for us is to purposely act instead of react. Everything inside of us might want to react, but we are new self-believers. We can rely upon the Holy Spirit We can choose our actions. We can choose to respond with kindness to anger, with compassion to misunderstanding, with forgiveness to being wrong. Reacting escalates the issue. Godly action resolves the issue. Rule number five, accept, don't accuse. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Don't think that we're already know what the other person is thinking. Don't think you, you know what the other person really means or what the other person's real motives are or intentions. We're called to accept what they say and to respond with love and hope and forbearance and endurance. How many arguments escalate because we refuse to accept what the other person is telling us? True biblical love accepts the other person. And then there's rule number six. Listen. James 1.19 My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. It's awful hard to lie when our mouth isn't moving. If we made listening and understanding the other person a higher priority than saying what we want to say, then a tremendous amount of conflict would be avoided. Listening doesn't mean to be quiet and then the whole time you're preparing your rebuttal. You know, listening means that your first priority is to understand them. To understand them rather than for them to understand you. Six rules of biblical communication. I love these. Pivotal truths in God's word that help us in our interaction with each other. Speak the truth in love. Keep current. Attack problems, not people. Act, don't react. Accept, don't accuse, and listen. It's hard to tell how much hurtful speech and conflict could be avoided and resolved if we followed these six biblical rules. 
Well, listen to this story I found. Dad, it really made us all feel bad, said my ninth grade daughter after she had climbed in the car following a recent game. She went on to tell how she and the girls on her team weren't sure what to do for the other team's star player. She was crying, Dad, kind of doubled over sometimes. Like she was too tired to keep going. But her coach kept yelling. Ah, the coach. How could you miss him? He was yelling from the moment the game began. He was barking out commands and issuing demands with a harsh, guttural, barking tone. And with that method, he got the results. The girl, through the tears that none of us on the sidelines could see, and in the pain that we did not recognize, had skillfully weaved her way through all the defenders and scored all the goals for the opposing team. She, in fact, was the key reason for our defeat at the end of the day. Still, despite all of these successes, the coach kept yelling and the criticisms for her imperfections echoed across the field. But worst of all, my daughter went on to say, is that coach was her dad. Oh, folks. The power of words. Let's put off this old self with these words that are so hurtful, with lies and destructive and harmful thoughts. And let's put on this new self. Jesus gave it to us, right? He has given it to us. We have the ability through the Spirit to put on the new man, to speak in truth and encouragement and honesty and real affirmation. God is challenging us to change to start using our mouths as instruments of righteousness. Listen to these words from Proverbs. Proverbs 15.4 The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Proverbs 10.11 The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 10.21 The lips of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 25.11 A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Oh, the power of our new self created in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The power of words and the Holy Spirit in our new self. New self equals new words. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this new self you've given to us. It's real, it's dynamic, it's alive within us, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we thank you so much that through this new spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and through this new self, you equip us through your scriptures to be able to make changes in our lives, to become the kind of people that you want us to be, and to become the kind of people that we want to be. Lord, we long to have these Proverbs true of us. A tongue that brings healing and a, a, a mouth that's a fountain of life. And lips that are nourishing and words like honeycomb. Lord, those are what we want. That's the truth of your scripture we want coming out of us. Out of the abundance of our heart, we want those words coming out. A heart that's being changed and molded by you. And Lord, please take away those words. Please have us to stop them and hold them captive. Those negative words 
that pierce like a sword, that they're damaging and hurtful. Lord, we look to you. We are so thankful. We are so thankful for your provision for change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.